Don't lick deer. <laughs> um, professional wildlife biologist Alan Saylor says, do not lick deer. Nomadic cowbirds and poking the puffballs. I like turtles. And lightsaber frog calls. Fresh steamy scat filled with persimmon seeds. Hi, it's Lindsay. And Rachel. And we're your hosts for That's My Favorite, the podcast where we geek out with naturalists. This week, our guest is Dr. Alan Grant, and he's going to talk about dinosaurs. <laughs> we're kidding. Oh, I'm I just wish. kidding. We no, wish. Yeah, I would die. I wish. Anyway. Now the actual Alan is going to sound less cool because he's not Dr. Oh, Alan no, Grant. No, no, no. Yeah. It's going to be way cooler because yeah. this Alan, this is Alan Saylor. He is um, a fellow naturalist here at the Great Plains Nature Center. Hello. And what will you be talking about today, Alan? Well, I'm going to be talking about uh, wildlife diseases, um, which is a weird favorite to have. I was going to say, like... It's kind of like having a like a favorite serial killer or something. Whoa. It's like, you know, it's not... That is a thing people have. Yeah, yeah. but no, oh, I, I'm just really fascinated by it. Okay. Um, so it's yeah. like one of your favorite topics. It is. It's a favorite topic. Yeah. Cool. I would say that's just as cool as dinosaurs. I well, wouldn't go yeah. that far personally, but well, yeah. I have a weird I could just, interest. I could just go, in... I guess, if you guys want to talk about dinosaurs, that's fine. No, 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 okay. no, no, no. I'm I'm trying to relate. Okay, I'm trying to tell you that I have an interest in wildlife diseases. Oh, okay, cool. So you are not alone, and that's why I think they're just as cool as dinosaurs. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I have reasons for okay. liking wildlife diseases. Oh. Well, tell us. Defend, oh, okay. defend your choice. Well, <laughs> okay. Well, i i think it's I think it's interesting because there are so many factors that come together when there's, uh, you know, whenever there's like a wildlife disease issue, right? You yeah. have all these ecological factors, kind of like uh, on a larger scale, you know, spe- species interactions and things like that. But you also have the ecosystem within the organism right so it kind of goes macro and micro for these um yeah the way they the the way they spread and the way they affect animals and things like that oh that's fun that's really cool i had never thought of it that way but yeah 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 right um yeah and it's also kind of like a little halloweeny because you know we're (laughs) we're sitting here two days before halloween and um yeah we're going to talk a little bit about some kind of scary illnesses i guess or awesome <laughs> things that are a little um yeah definitely what's the word spooky spooky <laughs> i'm ready to get spooked <laughs> i don't think that's the word you were looking for but no, my hands are sweating <laughs> really <laughs> okay uh, do, you have, do you have a favorite disease can i ask you that first am i allowed to ask you that first you know okay so i don't know it's it's weird Again, that's a weird question, but you're the one with the <laughs> diseases are your favorite. <laughs> I know it's a weird question to think about. Like, what's my favorite disease? What's I, the most interesting disease to you? Um. Okay, I really think actually, like the history behind rabies is really interesting. <gasps> oh, really? Yeah. It's you know, if you think about like what's a disease that's kind of formed a lot of our perceptions of you know the natural world, like mm. early on, uh-huh. um, people being you know terrified of of animals and things like that in wilderness yeah. uh, a lot of that comes from not knowing what rabies was and you know not knowing what was going on with the animals that it affected then like the the ways that people have tried to treat it were really gruesome and strange the ancient greeks used to try like treat it with by rubbing um chicken dung on bites <laughs> really uh, no. they used to try and like if people 
where um, because they, you know, you think of uh, hydrophobia with rabies, mm-hmm. right? The fear of water. They thought that could be countered with oil. So they would fling people wow. into hot oil baths. Oh, my word. Um, yeah, which is like, I guess, successful in the sense that those people probably didn't end up dying of rabies after all. They probably died of something else. <laughs> like hot oil? Yeah. So, but no, it's really weird. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, can we back up for a second though? Because I didn't, I didn't realize rabies wasn't just a North American thing. Is that a weird? Wait, no, because I knew it was like in North and South America, but like how how where is rabies all over the planet? Yeah, yeah, it's it's really, really broadly distributed. Wait, yeah, is it on Ireland's like Greenland and Great Britain? Because uh, it's isolated. Oh, you mean like has it crossed over? Well, I I mean I. Think it would have to, yeah. I, I, so? I'm not exactly sure. Like, okay, and that's fine. Like, I don't on know. a range map. I don't know. That's a good question. Hmm. A bat could just fly over. It's true. That's true. Yeah. I never really thought about the history of rabies before, but there's so much <laughs> stigma about around certain species or kinds of animals, like bats, for instance, yeah. because of rabies. And in reality, yeah. only like three percent of rabies even, or three percent of bats even carry rabies. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, yeah, bats are. I guess probably the biggest uh, disease vector for that, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're the biggest source of rabies, but they're mostly giving it to other bats, right? They're not giving it to people. Yeah, right. So yeah, we think of rabies as being like mostly a uh, wolves and dogs and things like that. Um, you know, a lot of werewolf myth and stuff like that kind of is based in. <gasps> oh, that's neat. I didn't even think of that. I, I didn't either. Wait, okay, let's like dig into that real quick because that sounds really freaking cool. Okay. <laughs> What? <laughs> well, just just the idea of like this madness, you know, in a person being induced from a, a bite from an animal, you know, mm-hmm. um, if you think about it from like a, a more superstitious point of view, it, yeah, it's like they've almost transmitted a curse or something, you know, so yeah. that that kind of idea. Uh, yeah, it's it's spooky. <laughs> I'm getting like shivers. <laughs> That's amazing. Like I've never... Oh even heard that before can you give us like a spark notes version of the history of rabies okay so yeah well because i don't really know like i guess in my head it's always existed <laughs> like you know like yeah what well i mean so I yeah know. for i guess uh i don't know well we don't really know like when the virus started right okay. um but it's been around for yeah a very long time infecting mammal populations for a very long time Throughout human history, yeah, for a long time, people didn't really understand what it was, or they knew it was transmitted by animal bites. That's that's really still the only way you're going to get rabies, is if you're bitten by a, an animal who is experiencing, like, the neurological symptoms mm-hmm. at the time. So, yeah. you know, the foaming mouth, uh, mm-hmm. the aggressiveness, that kind of thing. And they really do have to bite you pretty hard. Like, mm-hmm. it has to bite hard enough to where it's going to bind to your peripheral nervous system somewhere. Oh, wow. Okay. That's 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 the way it travels, right? So it's kind of a slow-moving virus. and then But once it gets to the brain, then that's really bad news. Game Poot. over, right? Yeah. yeah. But rabies, of course, isn't a problem for us today, fortunately, thanks in part to wildlife biologists and also thanks to scientists who developed a vaccine for it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Louis Pasteur, right? Pasteurization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the first one who came up with that. Um, and it was like a the really... The rabies vaccine? Yeah. What? what? He developed That's the first cool. one, yeah. And it was uh, really dangerous for them to do that because 
to get the, you know, every vaccine starts with like an antigen, yeah. right? You have to get that whatever's causing oh. the, the virus. So they would have to extract saliva from the mouths of dogs. That had rabies. That had rabies. Oh, and like wow. being in the full throws of the disease. So right. that's and if you get bit, there's, there's no cure. Not yet. No, that's what they were trying to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> At the time, there was no cure. Yeah. So it wow. would be, yeah, really bad. And probably I should detour there and say that there's still technically no cure, but if you're bitten by a rabid animal, the vaccine can be effective in stopping it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So there's really, yeah, I think there's only like seven people who have ever survived um, once it gets to that neurological stage. So once the virus hits the brain, only seven people have actually lived through that, of the hundreds of thousands who have been infected. Wow. Wow. That breaks and that's, out. when you say neurological, that's basically showing any si- actual symptoms of rabies right. at yeah. all. You're done for. Yeah, and that, yeah. that can take anywhere from a few days to weeks to even a few years Usually for it to happen because it moves so slowly. But yeah, no, th- since we have a vaccine now, if you get a pine animal, you just go get vaccinated, and yeah, that's that you're going to be fine. They've actually even vaccinated wild populations, mm-hmm. so it's not just people who have gotten vaccines for it. There's been a major push uh, to you know over the last several decades to inoculate wild animals. Hmm. Wow, that's interesting. So yeah, they would like you basically put the vaccine in a bait. And like oh, like the peanut butter M and M prey dog baits. Yes, or was that for something to else? get rid of the plague? plague? Oh, that yeah. was plague. Yeah, oh, they, yeah. Okay. they carry. They, well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they, could, they could also carry rabies. Any mammal can. Okay, uh, but Except yeah, they, well, no, they can. Oh, that's a good point. They can carry it, but it's incredibly rare for them. Yeah, which is which is nice. So they you know basically put these um, kind of magical meatballs of you know <laughs> medicine, uh, and you know anywhere from. Uh, coyotes to uh, raccoons to whatever who are going to be likely carriers of the disease. That was going to be my next question was like, which specific species have they targeted with this? Because I I guess obviously some of them are more susceptible to it or are bigger reservoirs in certain areas (coughs) or come into contact with humans. What, Lindsay? (laughs) Feral cats. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Feral feral cats are the biggest problem. Yeah. 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 Feral cats are nasty. Yeah, feral cats are a pretty big problem. I I think... um, Especially in terms of exposure to humans and pets, mm-hmm. they're going to be the number one animal that we're exposed to, and they are a reservoir for wildlife populations when they're not treated and vaccinated. Right. And, you know, seeing any kind of veterinary care. And that's not just rabies, too. I think it's a lot of other diseases like um, distemper, yeah, distemper and feline, yeah. and HIV, and stuff like that. Yeah, there's a lot of nasty stuff that they can carry. Really, I mean, you know, the more you learn about this, you know, it's just really shocking just how, like, riddled riddled with disease and parasites and that sort of thing that that animals are you know and i mean yeah it's like well you know they're they're cute and fluffy and adorable but it's also like wow that's some really bad stuff that you know they've got uh, they're just walking around with um yeah so (laughs) (laughs) those those mice in your in your cupboard haunt by get them out don't capture them and yes. make them into pets. Be very careful Laundry. with, uh, yeah, the mouse poop and all that. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Good stuff. Rabies. rabies so, man. yeah, rabies is a good example of a of a triumph over a wildlife disease, though, right? That's... Um, I get, well, for humans, I guess. Or has it been equally as successful for wildlife populations, too? Yeah. So, I mean, like, the rate of transmission from animal to animal is a lot lower than it used to be as well. How do we um, know that? 
That's a good question. Well, they do. <laughs> so I, I think for the most part, uh, sampling for rabies is pretty opportunistic. You know, if a person notices that an animal is behaving very strangely, um, then it can be, it'll probably be handled with extreme caution. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, to, and then because you have to really look at, uh, you know, you're going to need the, the brain tissue and that sort of thing to right. make a diagnosis of an animal. So it's a little more opportunistic, but um, the incidence of, Humans getting rabies from animals has dropped to almost nothing. Right. There is less than one case of rabies in the United States today, like every year. That's great mm. news. Yeah, there used to be hundreds, um, you know, and there used to be tens of thousands, uh, you know, worldwide. So mm-hmm. um, it's really dropped off. I, I have a weird question. Has the rabies virus changed very much over the years? Mm. Like, has it mutated or that yeah. kind of thing? Because a lot of diseases change like significantly enough, we have to make new vaccines for them every year, like the flu and the stuff, flu. right? Right. And like rabies right. has been around. Like we're talking about werewolves in like the 1200s or whatever. <laughs> has rabies pretty much stayed the same all this time, or is there any chance that could change and become uncontrollable again? Um. Yeah. So that is a a good and scary question, right? Because things, I guess, things move really quickly uh, in the world of disease. You remember from like biology class, they would talk about uh, penicillin. Mm-hmm. And penicillin being introduced in, what, like 19-something, 40s? And then a few years later, there's penicillin-resistant yeah. bacteria. So they introduced methicillin to fight that resistant bacteria. And then like two years after that, there's methicillin-resistant bacteria. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like things move quickly and things change. Um, as for rabies, I don't really know that it's changed all that much, but some diseases definitely do alter pretty quickly and can be difficult to keep up with, especially when you're dealing with like free-ranging mm-hmm. wildlife populations and you know, there, yeah, there's a, lo- a lot of factors there. Should we talk about some diseases that are like problems today? Yes! Yeah. Can you talk about chronic wasting disease, please? <laughs> chronic sure. wasting disease. I'm yes. not saying the zombie apocalypse is definitely coming, but it'll probably be here in 50 years, is all I have to say. All right, that's a good prediction. We'll okay, see let's... We'll see if you're right. So yeah, you, you, chronic wasting disease, you see a lot of headlines with it, like zombie deer and that yeah. kind of thing. Um, it's, not, it's not totally accurate. They're not coming back from the dead or anything, but they are... <laughs> I know. What a bummer. Um, if that was the case, then we would be a lot more alarmed, I think. But, I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> man. But uh, no, uh, so they're, uh, they're being affected by a really insidious disease. It's caused by prions, mm-hmm. right, which um, are a little bit like a protein that hasn't quite folded right. Okay, mm-hmm. it's a misshapen protein. So it's not and- a virus, it's not a virus. And it's not a bacteria. Not a bacteria. It's not alive. It's not alive. It's not a living thing. No, it's just a protein. From the environment is... Well, that's what's kind of scary about it, right? It can be. Okay, so it can be transmitted animal to animal, but these prions, they don't really break down. They can exist in the soil. They can exist in water. They can exist on vegetation oh. for a long period of time. So it's possible to get uh, for an animal to get indirectly infected with you know, these chronic wasting disease proteins without having coming into contact with another animal. Mm -hmm. My eyes are watering. So there's a lot of prion diseases out there besides chronic wasting disease, right? Yeah. And I feel like kind of tying some of those together might help people understand what exactly chronic wasting disease is because there's some that affect humans too. There Mm -hmm. are. There's, yeah, there's a disease called uh, Kreutzfeldt-Jakob 
or CJD. Ooh. Yeah, it's, fun to, it's fun to say. It's yeah, that's that's an example. Uh, uh, it's in the same family of illnesses. There's also one that's more, much more localized called Kuru uh, that mm. was only in Papua New Guinea. But yeah, so these, and that's when people were like cannibalizing the dead and eating their brains. Right. Or they, this okay. was like a yeah a tribe that had a funerary cannibalism ritual, and so then they would be consuming brain tissue that was infected, yeah. and so. But yeah, that they know exactly what caused that, so it's a lot more rare. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, so they they all fall into this group of illnesses which have a cool name. They're called spongiform encephalopathies. Mm. If you break that word down, it basically means spongiform like a sponge, okay. right? Encephalopathy in the head, <gasps> like a sponge in the head, because these prions, these proteins, they accumulate. They cause other proteins in the brain and, and the nervous system to also start folding incorrectly. So they accumulate, they kind of clump together, and then that causes little holes to start getting formed Ooh. in brain tissue. Okay, so it's killing off neurons, it's causing little holes in the brain. It happens over a long period of time, but once those prions really start uh, gathering, you see a really rapid decline. Uh, and some really, really freaky symptoms, too. So this non-living protein comes into contact with proteins that are already inside our brains, causes them to misfold mm -hmm. and spreads until yes. we have spongy brains. Until you have a spongy brain. Yes. Oh, my word. Weird. And so the way that manifests in deer, because I guess we should have said to start with, right? Yeah. Uh, CWD only affects cervids, right? So okay. uh, elk, deer, moose, mm -hmm. um, that kind of thing. Right now, they don't. Um, there's not strong evidence that it's going to infect another group of animals like us, which is good. But, but we'll talk about that more in a second. Okay, <laughs> so, good. I was gonna say, I think. Yeah. I feel like I saw a study that was really suspicious. Yeah, so there, yeah, there's but some... But we can get into that in a little bit. So, yeah. I'm pulling off track. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. So the way it manifests in deer is uh, you're going to see once they, you know, they might have it for a year, a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Once, again, once the brain starts getting spongy, things things go really bad really fast for them. They'll start getting listless. They'll start getting, you know, like looking confused, excessive salivating. So say, what, what does a deer look like when it's confused? <laughs> they always kind of look confused. Well, you know, sometimes they're like, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and oh, okay. sometimes they might have a more, a more dull expression, right? Okay. Like, you you know, you've seen enough animals. You, like, look at an animal yeah. and you're like, something's wrong with that one. Yeah, they're going to excessive, uh, excessively salivate, excessively urinate, and they're going to drop a lot of weight. Right, so these deer... Ooh, and they're probably shedding tons of prions when they're doing all that stuff, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, exactly, uh. yeah, because that's that's kind of what's thought to be the main mode of transmission. Feces, saliva, that kind of thing. Bodily fluids. Bodily fluids, right, and deer getting together in large groups, um, you know, eating from the same trough if people are feeding them, that kind of uh. thing. That can that can be a real, uh, real issue. Sometimes in captive herds where you have, like, lots of deer living together that yeah. might sometimes interact with free-ranging deer that can be an issue as well um they're going to get emaciated they're going to start behaving really strangely as well some of the first-hand things i've heard from hunters and have described deer just kind of walking around in circles in oh, fields. No. um i've also heard uh 
when I worked in Western Kansas, we had a, a call from a, um, a farmer out there who said that he had had a deer that was just like standing outside his kitchen window for like two days. That's so creepy. That it freaks is. me out. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't take any food or water. It wouldn't move, and eventually it just collapsed and died oh, where it was standing. That horrible. I literally have goosebumps. Yeah, and it was the deer was in really bad shape too. Like you could see its ribs. Oh, it was. It was. Yeah. It that was. Poor thing. It was rough. Um, this is your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like getting really to Alan. I love you. Don't change. <laughs> okay. <Well, laughs> no, I know it's a terrible way. It's a terrible way for an animal to go, but it's yeah. really interesting. It's okay. very interesting. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, and I guess I got, I got a lot, I got really interested in a lot of this stuff. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure when it started, but I, I, I got to, uh, work on some disease monitoring. Um, mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I got to participate in that. It was for bovine tuberculosis, which is mm. also carried by deer. And I didn't know that. Yeah. Basically what that amounted to was, um, cutting off a lot of deer heads and dissecting them and getting out lymph nodes and... Yeah, so it was really, really gruesome like work, but it was it was really interesting to see how all these biologists um, came together to did a plan and figure out how can we assess the, you know the prevalence of a disease, yeah, and what can we do to treat it. Gotcha. So I know for CWD because we our state guys here in the building do some of that, and yeah. we've gotten to watch them like pull out brain stems and stuff from deer for that. Right. So that that has to be taken from like the brain tissue to know for sure you have it. Yeah, that's that's but how that... they do a formal test. So they okay. they'll take uh, part of the brain and then also the um, the retropharyngeal lymph nodes. So those are the big juicy ones right behind the throat. Oh, okay. Because if they're getting the <laughs> disease by from contact with saliva and feces and that kind of thing, that's kind of like the first stop. That's where they're okay. right. That's the first stop on the immune system. So um, they'll look to see. The way they test for it is they actually get it under a microscope, these thin slices of tissue, and they look for those holes. Ooh. So the holes will be in the lymph nodes, too. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Really? So, Talking about bovine tuberculosis. No, it's not. It, that's, that's, a, that's a totally different thing. It, that's, not, that's not like a prion disease or it's anything right. as... But you were cutting cancers. out the lymph nodes from... Yeah, so same idea. So, um, yeah, hunters would bring us their deer, and then we'd either take the head off or just take the lymph nodes out and we'd look inside the deer if they'd field dressed it um, to see if there's any like lesions where the lungs would be because that's mm. that's the part of the that's the part of the body that tuberculosis would affect right okay Getting yeah those, yeah, yeah. Um, abnormal growths there so and are these deer hunted deer roadkill all of the above um, a little bit of both um, did you we, capture them specifically to study them as well or so we didn't we didn't actually like uh, take any deer ourselves these were all brought to us okay. they, they were pre-dead <laughs> yeah okay. um, and we even yeah we, they looked at a few other like non target animals like coyotes and stuff okay. um, as well so yeah it was it was yeah it was just really interesting um, so you guys would roll up to a roadkill deer chop its head off <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lymph nodes out. Yeah, uh, yeah, pretty much. And look at the lungs. Yeah, yeah. If you could. If you could, yeah. Fascinating. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, again, pretty, pretty bloody, pretty gruesome. But you know, that's this is how uh, you know this is, I guess, part of you know people who do wildlife veterinary work. I mean, that's yeah. that's kind of yeah. part of it. So, so for all the um, deer harvesters out there. They're advised to not consume these animals, right? Yeah. So we do have it. We do have CWD in Kansas. Mm -hmm. It's 
Really, I mean, it's it's starting to spread quite a bit. So yeah. you can, it's been found everywhere from Texas to New York at this point. Wow. Um, where the disease occurs for the most part is in the northwest part of the state. Mm-hmm. They estimate around ten percent of deer might have it there. Wow. Elsewhere, it's a lot lower. It's like probably less than one percent okay. at other places in the state. Okay. Um, but they do uh, encourage people to use precaution, right? Again, because while there's not strong evidence that it can be transmitted to humans, they would still prefer people be careful. Yeah. Right? So, you don't want to be the first person to contract CWD from eating right. venison that you harvested. <laughs> uncurable yes. brain sponge disease. Yeah. Because yeah, there's, there's not always like an always in nature, right? Oh, yeah. So things can weird things happen so um yeah it, it's better until you know the experts who are studying this know more to just to just exercise caution um in in northwest kansas i know they're still sampling so i think at like check stations and things like that mm-hmm. they will test your deer they'll take the lymph nodes out they'll send it to the lab and let you know in a few days if That's it's cool. if it's a, if it's safe to eat other places you can still like request a kit like from k-state um mm-hmm. and, oh, cool. and do it yourself um i've seen those before but I think the instructions that come with them aren't very clear. And I've okay. seen a lot of complaints about uh, <laughs> how not clear the instructions are to get the samples. Like apparently they're either really tiny and you can't read it very well or the descriptions are really bad. I don't know for sure. I've just heard that from other people that have seen these kits or used them themselves. And they're like, I don't know how to take a sample. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was well, making yeah. a knife chopping action. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a little tricky. Um, but uh, yeah, if you if you're not quite certain what you're looking for, especially for non-biologist people, I mean, yeah. I've, I've heard biologists say that the instructions are difficult to follow. So yeah, hmm, that's too bad. Aww. I mean, I imagine that. Yeah, I mean, most hunters are pretty familiar with the ins and out of a deer. So yeah. if they if you yeah. told them what to look for, then they would definitely know. So yeah. <clears throat> so Rachel, as you were saying, there are there are a few studies out there um, that suggest it it may. Uh, be worth exercising caution with CWD, right? And that's like the big fear. Yeah, the big fear is that people could get it. And and again, there's yeah, so they're not they're not 100% sure one way or the other. I would just obviously exercise caution. Don't yeah, don't chill and eat a deer that looks really emaciated or sick or is behaving really <laughs> weirdly. I think that probably goes without saying. Um, but even when you're handling it, when if you're field dressing it, um, you know, as a hunter, don't mess with the brain. Mm. don't eat the brain if you're mm. the one person in the world who really likes deer brains <laughs> i'm sorry you gotta find like a new thing i guess uh <laughs> but yeah um those studies that uh suggest that all that caution is is warranted they have managed to infect squirrel monkeys with um yeah. cwd that's the article i read yeah we read that in the summer for uh our series at headshots that's right mm-hmm. ah, okay yeah they've also uh there's also an ongoing study it's not published yet but they've <gasps> managed to uh infect macaques oh, uh, so no. which are genetically pretty similar to humans um and what's unique about that study is the macaques were infected by eating uh, they infected two of them by injecting into the brain to see if it was possible, right? Sure. So, oh, they just put it right in the brain. Yeah, but there's three others that just uh, contracted it from eating meat. Oh, and not like not, not even the brain, but just the meat. Just the meat, and not oh, eating no. like crazy amounts of it either. They tried to scale it back to where it would be the equivalent of eating like one uh, venison steak a month. <gasps> That's so, nothing. 
It's not a lot, right? So not if you eat deer constantly. That's oh okay. And like here here, correct me if I'm wrong, Alan, but what's like really freaky about this is back mad cow disease is a yeah. prion disease too. Yeah, yeah mad that is that's yeah. And back when we weren't sure if that could infect humans, mm-hmm. the first sign that it maybe could was mm-hmm. these studies where they showed that I think it was even the same species, macaques could be infected by it. And that was the first sign. And then it turned out to be true that we could become infected with mad cow disease. And then it like turned into a huge health crisis. Right. Yeah. And uh, so that's why, you know, take precautions. Don't, I wouldn't mess with it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, it's not worth the risk. Okay. There's, there's plenty of healthy deer out there while Biologists are trying to figure out a way to stop the spread and hopefully come up with some way to cure or prevent these diseases from spreading in general. Um, Prion diseases are not really that well understood yet. So that's another reason why, again, just use an abundance of caution, I guess. Abundance of caution. Yeah, it's probably a good rule of thumb. What? (laughs) Nothing. Um, As a deer hunter, I'm Googling which counties it's been found in Kansas. No. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, the big cluster is up northwest, like that. Yeah, yeah, all up in that. Yeah. I don't even think probably even close to Central Well, this is 2017. Okay. I think that's just showing uh, there was a bull elk that tested positive for it. And we are talking mostly about deer because that's the one that we're likely to encounter in Kansas. But yeah. for any listeners who aren't in Kansas, it's all surveyed, so keep that in mind. Yeah, right. I don't know if people eat moose. I'm not. I'm not a moose hunter myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> a, that a that's thing? a big thing to hunt. Yeah, that's. Do people hunt moose to eat them? Oh, I oh yeah for sure. But see, like, I'm that's like ignorant a, on That's this. like a big okay. game. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, it, yeah. It's it's a big. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. yeah. Just checking. Don't eat their brains. Right. Don't eat emaciated animals. Yes. Don't, don't, you know, do your part in preventing the zombie apocalypse and don't eat CWD infected animals. And so. Alan's not really joking that much. Just, <laughs> just so you know, he's pretty serious. <laughs> this is a great episode for Halloween. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, uh, I guess since it's Bat Week, could we talk just a little bit about White Nose? Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Fungus! Yeah, right. So, well, this is a bad fungus, Lindsay. I know. <laughs> not all fungi are happy and fun yeah. i respect that yeah but okay so <laughs> since it's bat week uh yeah i wanted to talk just briefly about white nose because that's uh, another wildlife disease um that is that's now in kansas yep. as of last year yep um yeah and it's uh really serious news uh for for bats um it has like a 90 percent mortality rate i mm. think once in like colonies that get infected with it yeah yep are solitary yeah. bats, side note, are solitary bats at risk or not as much? Um, I think that depends on the amount to which they might, like, incidentally interact with other bats. Okay. Or um, also wherever they're roosting can be a okay. problem. Mm. But, yeah, so so white-nosed fungus, uh, like the name says, it, it, it grows on the skin of the bats. It can infect. It grows in their, uh, you know, in their nasal passages. It grows on their wings. It starts to kind of eat away at that tissue. Not fun. Uh, and it the main problem with that is that it wakes them up from hibernation. Oh. So basically rousing them from hibernation. Okay. And so they're burning those, you know, those brown fat deposits, right, that mm-hmm. help them survive the winter. It's waking them up, and they don't have enough to sustain themselves at that point. And they There's, can't go out and find food or water, so they effectively starve. Right, they're yeah. Insectivores. They're insectivores, and you don't find those in the winter. So... Yeah. Which is, again, a really 
you know, a really terrible way for an animal to die. Right. Yeah. Um, very sad, but it's, it's, it's been, um, it's pretty widespread as well. A lot of States have it now. Um, it's, I mean, it's millions of bats are dying from it. So there's uh, a real push to try and figure out how can they treat that uh, fungal infection before, yeah, before serious like ecological impacts start happening. Because yeah. what is, you know, what, what does an ecosystem look like without bats? Full of bugs. Full of bugs, right? <laughs> yeah. It's not, not a good situation. Um, wow. Yeah, but it's kind of it's kind of interesting to read about like some, because there's a lot of studies where people are trying to figure out a way to treat uh, white nose. Yeah. And there's some really cool ideas they have. There's like uh, this one study where they were applying a bacteria that eats fungus nice. to bats. That's cool. It's like a probiotic bacteria that um, kind of inhibits the fungal growth. They saw some success with that. Um, some people are trying to create a vaccine for it. There's not really a lot of vaccines out there for fungal illnesses. Are um, there any at all? I don't know. Vaccines? It's not really vaccines for fungal illnesses? It's not really something that, like, people don't get a lot of fungal illnesses, right? It's not something that affects Uh humans. Uh, So there's probably hasn't been a lot of research poured into, like, figuring out how to vaccinate against it. The athlete industry hasn't figured out how to vaccinate for athlete's foot? (laughs) No, they got the the creams. Oh, the creams. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I found an article Mm. about recent progress in vaccines against fungal something. Infections. I lost the title of it. Uh, there are two fungal vaccines okay, that are two. currently in the phase one clinical trial. Oh. So they're not even out there yet, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. So. Yeah, it's interesting. So the the, va- the way a vaccine would work for a bat is that they would put it into a gel, and then they would just brush it onto the fur. Oh. And then as the bat grooms itself, it's going to, you know, nom, 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 eat the vaccine. Oh, yeah. that's cool. I was thinking it it was like topical and I was like, that's weird, but I guess that, w-. but yeah. no, like they're just eating it because they're meticulously grooming. Yeah. That's yeah. That's cool. And then they like groom each other and so yeah. and they're spreading it around. That's great. That is great. <laughs> and there's also, there's also one more study I found that said that they um, had discovered like it's extremely sensitive to UV light. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Um, they might be able to like take some lamps and expose you know infected bats to UV light, give them like a little bit of a brief suntan, but kill the white nose fungus that might be growing on them. Uh, for some reason, like the the fungus, its DNA is not able to repair itself after being exposed to UV. That's really cool, and like not like a dangerous level of UV. No, no, we're not like frying them. No, yeah. but you know, just a, yeah, reasonable amount of UV light, um, which makes sense because it's like a. I guess it's like a cold-loving fungus. Right, and it's like yeah. a, You know, it's a cave-growing fungus. So, yeah, that would make sense that it would have that kind of sensitivity. Now, where did white nose originate from? Because isn't it an invasive species that's from another continent or something? Yeah, it's from Europe. Okay. Uh, and, they, and European bat populations don't have the same problem with it that North American bat populations do. Okay. Um, they're thinking that there may have been like some co-evolution there, right? So mm. um, they're a little more adapted or a little more used to having that fungus around. You can it still infects them sometimes, but you don't see like you're not seeing like the huge die-off that you are in the U.S. So I've actually read some interesting articles about that, and there are biologists who suggest that we just let the white nose fungus run its course, and eventually the bats that we have here in the U.S. will mm-hmm. evolve. 
yeah. to be resistant to it. Because uh, okay, there are some yeah. populations that are already showing that, some improvements. That show resistance. That have, like the colonies were pretty well wiped out. Right. But the ones that survived are resistant now. And, yeah. and they're moving on living with the fungus. Yeah. Of course, I don't know if that's like a risk. I mean, there's there's risks and benefits and, and you have to weigh, you know, what risks are worth it. Mm-hmm. Right. But there's definitely some... I don't know, good reasons to talk about it at least. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, you know, um, yeah, uh, some animals are going to have a, you know, a resistance or an immunity or that kind of thing. And and the genes for that will just become more prevalent, Mm -hmm. you know, as they survive and reproduce, right? That's, that's the basics of biology. So the problem, I guess, with that is that that might take a long time for bat populations to really um, restore themselves. And we have a lot of endangered bat species. We do. Yeah. Yeah. It was like the, the Indiana bat, I think, is one that's like very on the edge because really? of, uh, uh, yeah, of, of white nose fungus. So it is sad. It's similar to what's happening with amphibians, right? And yeah. the chytrid fungus. Mm-hmm. So another invasive fungus. From yes. The, yeah, another country. Yes, very bad for for the amphibians. But mm. um, no, but you know the the thing to take from it, I guess, is that it's it's really cool to see biologists trying to find a solution to these things, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, and of course, you know, uh, being able to educate the public about it because, uh, people can help stop the spread of white nose, especially if they're climbers or cavers, um, by, you know, being very careful with sterilizing their equipment and their mm-hmm. clothes and that sort of thing before they move from cave to cave, um, just in case that that is a hibernacula for a bat. So mm-hmm. hibernaculum. I think hibernaculum is the singular. It's a good word. It's fun to say. It's a great it word. Cool. Yeah. We'll make sure you get out of here. This is like probably about time. Yeah, probably. Well, it sounds like we have at least like six more episodes worth of content we could get you to <laughs> rave about, Alan. Yeah, no, it's 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 a really cool. Uh, yeah, this is a really cool field. Yeah, it is fascinating. Oh, I really like parasites. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. We should talk about parasites. parasites There's fun. a lot of good. You ones. guys would just geek out the whole time about parasites. Oh, probably. <laughs> Maybe Alan could be like a co-host on that. That would be fun. <laughs> and you and I just. Have a conversation about parasites. Yeah, why not? I support this. Okay. I don't know. Can I be in the audience? (laughs) Totally. Okay, great. (laughs) Well, thanks, Alan, for sharing these really abysmal favorites with us. (laughs) Yeah, what a depressing and slightly scary episode. Slightly scary, but I think also like a little (laughs) bit optimistic and exciting because this is one thing about wildlife that's constantly changing in a way that's really tied to humans and that's really observable and that affects us. And I don't know, it... As weird as it might sound, it makes wildlife feel like a really dynamic part of our lives. It does, yeah. I mean, you see, there's, there is like, there seems to be a push now to not only, you know, protect, you know, not only protect against the kinds of illnesses that are going to affect livestock and people, but mm-hmm. just protect against the lives, uh, the the um, diseases that affect wildlife populations in general, right? Yeah. Trying to trying to improve the health of ecosystems and and keep really bad things from happening. So. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's exciting. Well, um, hit that subscribe button with your hand that you can still control because the prions haven't taken over your brain. And <laughs> <laughs> we'd like to thank our producers, the Great Plains Nature Center, who allow us to spend our work hours talking about our favorites. You can find Alan's show notes up on the website. And I think that's it, right? Probably. Okay. Okay, yeah, bye. Don't lick deer. Um, professional wildlife biologist Alan Saylor says do not lick deer (laughs) in his professional opinion that probably means you shouldn't kiss deer either should you I wouldn't okay 
Well. <laughs> All right. Bye, Alan. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> oh. Would you like to hear a poem that I wrote? Yes. No. It says. Yes. <laughs> Roses are red. Okay. Bats are nocturnal. Kansas has 15 species and the females are maternal. Lovely. Thank you. 